I was on the car journey the other day and um, went past one of these cars that got sort of a pile of sporting equipment on the back of a trailer, which I obviously felt an immediate affinity with, um, being so active. Uh, but no, there was, there was like this pile of canoes and I can't remember what else, bikes and so on. And on his bumper, because you know people have bumper stickers, it said, one life, live it. And I was thinking, Lord, what, what's, that? what's that to me? How would I express that? And just, I was just reminded of it in Mark's prayer this morning. His life, live it. You know, you don't have a life. You have his you have the one he died to give you. Now that can involve mountain biking and canoeing and, and decorating Castle Point or whatever else, uh, whatever other activities you can think to throw in there. But you know it's his life. And God's called us to live it. We're entering a time where we're, going, we're checking out. Is it down? Yeah. We're, we're, we're being called to check out the bones. And, um, and I just wanted to, just a couple of minutes at the start, just to remind us of what this stuff is. The bones are what hold your body together. Without bones, you wouldn't get very far. Bones enable us to uh, have strength. They enable movement, and they also enable growth. Now, when God spoke to us about this before, it was very much about, you know, before you move on, you just got to know what are the things you've got to take with you. What are the eternal things? What are the things that when you slice us down the middle are written in our hearts? The other thing we're doing really is we've been building for some time and we're like holding up a plumb line. The picture there shows a guy checking out whether his wall is true. And um, the thing is, when you've got lots of layers and each one of these bones is like a layer... But if you've got a little bit of wonkiness in a layer, and then a little bit in this, and a little bit in that, when you add them together, small discrepancies add up to being a a large amount by the time you get to the top of the wall. And over the summer, I felt God stirring me about foundations. And I think that all these things are connected. Um, God's asking us to apply a plumb line, not to condemn us, but to provide a way in grace to actually make sure that we're measuring correctly. Remember, God's been reminding us this morning of he who started a good work in us is faithful and he will do it. He will finish. So today we're looking at integrity, which we usually use this really nice um, succinct definition, the harmony of belief and action. When what I believe in my heart is made real by what I say and what I do. See, the world is full of people that sound impressive, who sound good. In fact, the television is full of them. They have the right words to say, and they can look pretty impressive. They can talk the talk well. But God's called this church to not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk, to be a real people. And to be honest, it's more important that we walk the walk than we talk it. Because in what we show by our lives, that's what communicates. God's not impressed with how I sound. 
Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. See, do I say the same thing all the way through? Um, You know, this is a stick of rock, you know? No matter how many times you slice that Blackpool rock, it will only say Blackpool rock in it. You don't get halfway through and it says Bogner. Or you get to a certain point and you end up in South End. All the way through, written through it, it says Blackpool rock. And with us, it's got to be the same. Somewhere in me, it's got to be no matter how many times you cut me, no matter how many times you try to get underneath the surface, you hear the same thing. A bigger definition then of integrity might be a wholeness of heart. When our thoughts, attitudes and actions genuinely reflect what we believe, it's not only about knowing, doing the right thing, but it's doing the right thing when you know no one else is going to see it. David wrote about integrity in Psalm 15. Now, in the NIV, um, the translation is slightly different and uses the word blameless for someone who has integrity. But that is another meaning of the word integrity, to actually not have any fault of yourself. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless, or he who walks with integrity and does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends money without usury or interest and doesn't accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. God's given us the access to his sanctuary. He's enabled me, like I am, to come into his presence right now. And as I'm there, God enables me, me with my character faults, me with my weakness, me with my uh, whatever, to walk with integrity because of his grace working in me. Integrity sounds hard, but actually it means being simple, really. That's another meaning of the word, simplicity. The same all the way through. Instead of trying to figure out what you should do, God wants us to be clean inside and then it to come out. So that actually our effort goes into into receiving, into asking him, and he provides our integrity. Integrity is in practice, we say, when our attitudes and reactions match up to what we believe. Oh, that wasn't quite the slide I expected. Sorry. Just just a moment. I'll come to... No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, Integrity. Turned over two pages at once. Integrity. David was renowned for having integrity in the Bible. um, And yet, if we look at his life, he didn't get things right all the time. So I think it's important for us to understand that because of God's grace... The wall may be wonky, but God's enabling us to walk openly, to walk without deceit, to walk with um, transparency so that the inmost, our heart is open. It's being without guile. This was um, God's promise to Solomon. As you walk, if you walk before me, in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, 
I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Integrity we often associate with our heads of working out what the right thing to do is and making sure we've done it. But God's enabled us all to have integrity, whether we can figure it out or not, because it's actually integrity of heart. It's actually what's coming out from our very being. There's something that God enables that, that provides the grace for me to, to walk with that integrity. So, well, what do we mean by integrity? How does it look today? You see, that promise there was made to Solomon, and as a consequence of that, we know, we can know the living God, because Jesus is on the throne. And it's that line that came from Solomon that led to our salvation in Jesus. So integrity is really important. Integrity is in practice when our attitudes, our thoughts, and reactions line up with what we believe to be right. When we mean what we say and say what we mean, and when our actions reflect what's really going on under the surface. Now, that can be a bit messy, but actually, if integrity is an important value to us, we have to put up with the mess. And that's why we need love. Because love has to come with this integrity stuff. Because when we're talking to one another, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but when you splurge out how you're feeling, others need to, need to love you back, or you need to be in a relationship of love. Otherwise, it causes pain. Well, it causes pain anyway, but we have to know God in that time. So integrity of heart refers to a heart that's complete. It's not been fractioned or, 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 or splintered by having a, a split mind on something. And um, integrity starts with us being honest with God. We can't, if we're not honest with God, we're not going to be honest with one another. So as we walk, sometimes our prayers are going to be angry. As we walk, sometimes our prayers are going to be sad. As we walk, sometimes our prayers are going to be in pain. But if we don't have integrity with the Father, we can't have integrity with one another. Otherwise, we just fall back on what we know, to, to, we think is the right thing to say. And we'll come on to that in a minute. Now, so how do we keep walking with integrity? There are three keys to integrity. There's integrity of conscience. Oh, sorry, there's the key of conscience. And there's some scriptures there that you can have a look at. Um, essentially, the first thing is that God's taken the law that was out there and written on tablets of stone, and he's put it into our hearts. And that's what conscience is about. It's the ability to sense the right thing without having to have a detailed rule book for every every eventuality we meet in life. Because life is complicated. And if we had a rule book for every situation we ever meet, it would have to be very, very large. And you know what? We get it wrong. Because we wouldn't apply the law correctly. But okay then. So, so conscience is what my 
is, is a thing that I can rely on. But how do I know that it's not just my mind playing tricks? How do I know that actually what, what I'm feeling is right is right? Suggestions? How do I know? So this thing of conscience, you know, it's a bit dangerous, isn't it? It sounds a bit, you know, in philosophical circles, you call it relativism. You're saying it's not about right and wrong. It's actually what you sense to be right. So how do I know? How do I know? Any suggestions? Matches up with what God says in the Bible. So my rule book is the Bible. Sorry? That's right. So the Bible is important, but who measures up? Do I have to? Well, uh, basically what I'm, what, where I'm going with this is that we need one another, right? Because I might be convinced that what I'm thinking to do is the right thing, and I might even be able to point to scriptures that suggest it's the right thing. But it may not be the right thing, and that's why God's put us in community, so that we can help, to, we can weigh things through, we can, we can work things out. The other thing is God's given us a prayer that we can pray. Psalm 139 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He has given us a conscience as a guide. And that's right, but we're not just sitting over here with our conscience. We're sitting in relationship with him and with one another. And those can help us with the Bible to figure out what the right thing to do is in any circumstance. You know, um, the the illustration that I found most helpful on conscience is, um, you know, you'll have heard it before probably, but I'm going to use it again. When you are driving your computer and you get to that point of doing something that you shouldn't have done, like you withdraw the USB stick at the wrong time, or you forget to save something, your computer probably makes a bonging noise. Now, when, when we talked about this in the past, we called this the gong. Do you know what I mean by, a, by the gong on your computer? When some, there is a noise, it's different to the healthy noise, it's a noise that your computer makes to say, you know what? What you just did, not a good idea. Are you sure you wanted to do that? Now, God enables us to hear a gong for our everyday life. Did you know that? God enables us to actually, to, to actually go through life in all the circumstances we face. And actually hear him. Hear that, oh, that felt a bit weird. The other day, someone had... Um, we'd been talk- I'd been talking to a friend about something and um, oh, I thought it was a good conversation, went away and then a little while later the person phoned me up and said, you know, I don't know why I told you that I don't know that I should have done and the gong had gone off for that person and basically it was, it was about whether or not it was helpful for me to hear what it was that they were telling me whether it was helping the other person or whatever, we were talking about a third party And in fact, that was an example of gossip. That's what they were seeing it as. I didn't quite see it the same way. But for them, the gong had gone off. So guys, what I'm saying to you is that if you're wanting to walk in integrity, we can expect God to give us that gong, that sensitivity to the Spirit. And that person did exactly the right thing because they came back to the person 
and said, you know, I don't think I should have done that. And then we talked it through and, and moved on. But I'm just giving that as an example. That leads us on to confession. If you think you've got something wrong, then, um, then God enables us to confess what we've got wrong to one another. And the Bible says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all our sin. So we need to walk openly. There is nothing done in secret or nothing done in the darkness that won't be shown in the light. Nothing whispered in the dark places that won't be shouted from the rooftops. So when we are facing a situation and we've gone the wrong way, it's important to confess because that opens the way to living in his presence. Maybe, sometimes, we see something and we're part of that process of helping people to hear what God's saying. And that's where confrontation comes in. God's given us one another to encourage one another. And we encourage one another with their, their platitudes and pats on the shoulder. No, well, sometimes, not ever, really. We encourage one another with God's word. And God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword. So when you've been encouraged, sometimes you can feel the double-edged sword. That's okay. Because it divides from what's right and what's wrong. It helps us to walk in truth. The Holy Spirit is there to convict us. But sometimes God needs us to be part of that process of bringing his word. There's some scriptures there. Ephesians 3.13 says we should encourage one another daily. And Galatians 2. I might just have a little look at that, actually. This is a situation where um, there's been a disagreement in the early church. In Galatians 2, 1 to 7, um, we, can he- we can read how Paul dealt with a particular situation. Fourteen years later, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I was to preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who it seemed As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. So, Paul needed to talk and to confront an unrightness, as he saw, 
uh, amongst, the early, amongst the apostles in the early church. And he had to go and he had to talk to them about it. He did it face to face. And I don't think they would have left the meeting unclear as to what it was he needed to say. So sometimes God gives us the role of, of correcting. And we need to do that faithfully. We need to do it in love. And we need to ask God's help of how. Because it's wielding a sword in love is, is a powerful thing. Maybe that's something that, I mean, that's, that's a teaching, but maybe that's something that we need to actually just take a moment and just think about. Lord, is this something that you need me to do in this? See, if we use these keys, if we use our conscience, if we practice confession with those that look out for us, for our brothers and sisters, if we practice confrontation, then God enables us to be more like that stick of rock that says the same the whole way through. And that means that God actually protects us. Um, The story from Genesis 20 is the story of Abraham and Sarah and a guy called Abimelech. Abraham went to stay with Abimelech and said, here, look, would you like my sister? And um, the sister was, in fact, his wife. And Abimelech took Sarah to be his wife. But God protected Abimelech by his conscience, so he never actually, although he took her to be his wife, he never knew her as a wife, if you know what I mean. So, So that protected him. Now, that's an interesting little thing. But, you know, God does protect us today. Sometimes we just don't get involved in things. And we don't really know why. But God's protected us from a situation. A while ago, I was part of a very lovely group of people um, who, who were based in a place called Himes Park, which is about 12 miles. No, it's not. Six miles. Uh, around the North Circular. And they were a really lovely bunch of people. And I lived in Himes Park. And I was part of the the grouping there. And Mark, you can see you remember it well. And we were leading a group there of about, there was probably about 25 people based in Himes Park. And I was working with someone called Richard Hayward at the time. Um, John had asked me to to help lead this grouping. And one choice of the future was for me to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, be, I'm going to move. We, need to, we got to that point in our family where we need to get a bigger house. Uh, and we had the opportunity to get a bigger house. So one option would be to move 20 yards down the road, kind of, and remain where we were, and actually to try and build something in Himes Park. And I was really seeking God as to whether that's what we should do. Another option would have been to have moved here. Now, because I live here now, you can work out what the option we we chose. But the really amazing thing is that we tried to walk that together, and I wasn't sure what to do. Um, And I made the decision, you know, I I don't think I should be leading this thing over here. I think I should be getting closer into what we were doing in Lifeline. And the moment I'd done that, they didn't even know that at that point. They, 
that grouping en masse left the church. It was like they, they just, at that point, left us to be part of something else. And I didn't know that was what was in their hearts. I thought we were rowing together and heading in a particular direction. And I really wanted a church to be there. But I wanted to follow God. And I didn't sense, that was my natural self, wanted there to be a church there, you know. And I didn't sense that God was calling me to be doing that. Now, I could have moved 20 yards down the road, and then I, then I could have been involved in that thing. But no, I, I knew that where God had placed me was here. And it was just, just one of those things in my life where I just sensed, you know, it was, it was like, it was, it was a non-decision. It would have been so difficult to think, oh, should I be, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do that? But actually, God made the decision for me. And, um, and I do think there are times when we, we approach big decisions and God protects us from other things that we can't see by our own integrity. I believe what kept me safe was I was just really trying to, in my own limited way, I was trying to follow what I thought God was saying to me. That's what integrity is, guys. It's not like, I'm not saying Super Neil had massive integrity at that point. And if you looked at me, you know, all the things in secret were on the rooftop, and you looked at my life and you say, oh, Neil, you are so perfect at that point. What I'm saying is that my heart to follow Christ kept me safe. And I believe that's true for you guys. I believe that what, as one of our bones, one of our bones is that we have to do what is right, not before men, but before God. So, so God protects us from sinning in ignorance or getting involved in things sometimes that we just, we don't need to get involved in. Um, Integrity provides protection from the enemy. It provides a promise of being established before God, being honored by him, and it ushers us into his presence, which I've already talked about. The trouble is, the trouble with integrity, well, it means I need to really work at getting my heart right. You see, I can very quickly look good, but God says what's inside matters. These are our choices. We can have reality integrity and truth, or we can have unreality, externalism and tradition. Lifeline needs to be on this side. Lifeline Church has been called to live in reality. We haven't got them here today, but the first line says that we're a real people. So that means the first line of our real people, serving a real God, making a real difference. But a real people. Guys, we've got to be real. If we aren't real, we can't have integrity. Success or failure is less important 
than doing what we believe to be right before God. We need to have a sense of what God is saying. Here's an example of someone with integrity. Daniel and the vegetables. You know this story, Daniel chapter 1. Um, I went off, I'll, I'll run, I'll, not that Daniel and the vegetables. Do you like vegetables, Daniel? Particularly big on cabbage, excellent. Um, went away to university, um, and I was part of a CU there. Um, I wasn't, when I left home, uh, pretty much I left home when I was 18. That was the way my life worked out. At 18, went off to university, joined the CU, and the first text I ever heard someone talk about was this one. If you're coming close to going to university, and you might not be here, this is a very interesting story. Daniel was one of a group of fine young men. They were very good looking. But they weren't... Sorry, Daniel. But they... (laughs) I shouldn't use the past tense. No. This Daniel... Talking about this one now, okay? Daniel was very good looking. And he was part of a whole bunch of people that were chosen because they had great physique. But not only great physique, they had high intellect. It goes on, Daniel. They were gifted. They were gifted naturally. And they were chosen to learn about the Babylonian system so that they could go back into God's people and rule from a point of view of Babylon. But they were taken away for three years. Now, most degrees these days are four years. However, it's quite an interesting parallel. If you leave, if you leave here to go to university, you're really going into Babylon. Universities are places where other other rulers operate. In the kingdom of God, Jesus rules. When we go away, we have to accept that that's, a, that's part of what God is giving us. We're learning about Babylon when we go there. Anyway, let me read you the story, because I think it will help. So, here's this young Hebrew in an alien land. In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of, Jerus- of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put into the treasure house of his God. And that two verses conjures up the kind of completeness of the thrashing that Judah had had at that point. Completely lost everything, don't have any wealth of their own. Babylon's come in, wiped everything out. The king ordered Ashpenaz, king of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them the daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, And they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them these new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. 
And he asked the chief official permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord, the king, who has assigned to me your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men of your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard who the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables and eat to eat and, vegetables and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables instead. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. The story will continue at some other time. But I wanted to think about, the people of God had been completely smashed. Babylon, the enemy, had come in. They had taken everything of value. And now they try to create their secret police, the, the elite, to win the elite over to the Babylonian system. And Daniel was offered everything that he could possibly have wanted. And he was offered food from the king's table. But something in Daniel's heart saw that as being too much. Now, all the food on the king's table was probably pretty dodgy as far as a kosher uh, Israelite was concerned. The meat certainly wouldn't have been sacrificed or killed in the way. The animals wouldn't have been killed in the appropriate way. But the, anim- the vegetables would probably be pretty uh, foreign to him. And it was all really part of this Babylonian system. Now, Daniel could have said, I don't want anything to do with anything. But actually, what God showed Daniel was that if he had the meat and the vegetables, I think he would have been too at home there. He would have been seduced by the wealth of Babylon. I mean, Babylon was incredibly wealthy. And so what he did instead was he decided to just eat the vegetables. Sometimes God shows us things like that in our lives, where there are we need to not make ourselves so at home. Because actually, to have integrity, it means not always fitting in. And for Daniel, fitting in would have meant eating those vegetables, eating that meat. It would have been everything that the king had put before him. But he knew that to do that, he would have been compromised. Daniel is a great figure for integrity. If Later... We read about Daniel refusing to bow down and worship anyone but the true God. And we know that in that rightness, he was protected and God saw him prosper. So, at the end of it, they were ten times better than the rest. I believe that sometimes God shows us things 
that we need to just keep back from. It's not a rule. I mean, actually, if it was the rule, then he probably shouldn't have eaten any of the food from the king's table. That's the point I'm trying to make. Whereas, actually, what he did was he held back from the unnecessary stuff. He held back from the luxuries. And in that, he kept himself pure. And God saw him prosper as a result. Now, there's another bunch of people that tried to maintain their integrity. And Jesus wasn't very impressed with these. And I'm going to look at these next. Because we're going to come on to the alternative to showing integrity. See, integrity, the person who can truly see whether I have integrity or not, it's not you guys. It's the Father. Because he sees my heart. And he knows whether what's out here matches with what's in here. And yet what we would try to do is we practice something called externalism. The people that I'm thinking of are the Pharisees. When Jesus met the Pharisees, he was never impressed with them. And in particular, this, this thing stands out to me. He was talking to them and he said... Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers, and, uh, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, that you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. There's nothing new under the sun. Externalism is, was alive and well 2,000 years ago. But externalism is alive and well today amongst us. We need to be sure that what's on the outside matches with what's on the inside. Jesus is not impressed with whitewashed tombs. Externalism might be, um, we use this in the notes, it's a process ceremony, going through a process ceremony or rites without a reality. It's a shadow, putting on a show without substance. Um, if you're into externalism, it's more important you look good than, than you're real. Um, there's another uh, scripture that I, God showed me earlier on this year. I keep coming back to I think this might be the third time I've talked about it, but I just feel there's something in it. For us, this is the same basic thing. Am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I could not be a servant of Christ. Externalism is all about making myself look okay so I don't get in trouble. It's making me fulfilling some kind of role. But actually, what God's calling us to do is to be changed from the inside out. So, how do I know if I'm, if I'm actually living with this thing called externalism? Well, these are some symptoms. When we cover our true motives, so we excuse our behavior, or we excuse why we have done something. So, you might say you'd do anything, but actually, uh, what you really mean is you'd like to do something uh, that has a public face or has, has status. 
rather than doing something which no one else sees. Remember that other definition I gave you of integrity is like doing the right thing when no one else sees. There are the things that make the church what it is today are the countless tasks that go on that none of us ever see. I mean, this morning, there was a whole bunch of people putting out the chairs. I'll give that as an example. There are people doing the PA. The worship band have been out praying. Uh, You know, there are times that you guys give that very few others ever see. But that's what gives us the weight that we have. And if ever we start to value or you know, start to get confused over value, God wants to bring us back to that sense of everything is for him. How about this? Um, Lord, it's great to know your victory. And then that's what we say to one another. and Give testimony to how, I, how, I, how God has really been helping me. But then I go home and start shouting at the kids. Hypothetically. Or I go home and I uh, drink a bottle of wine over my lunch. Or maybe something else. Living with hypocrisy, with double standards. Seeing faults in others. Seeing faults in others, but being blind to the ones in your own, in yourself. Gossiping. Ask yourself, why am I saying this? Is this going to help the other person? Either the person I'm talking about or the person I'm talking to. Now, sometimes, because we care for one another, you might talk to a group leader about something because you're trying to weigh what you should do. Or you might talk to someone else who's a leader in the church. That's not gossip. Because you're trying to weigh what you should do. But actually... Just talking very rarely achieves anything. We have to be, we have to be uh, bringing things to God ourselves and taking them back to the person concerned. It might even be that you're saying something that's accurate, but actually it's coming from the wrong heart. Um, legalism, just doing the right thing because... I know I need to be there. Emotionalism. Manipulating my behavior to fit. It's a funny thing, that one. I've just noticed the time. I've nearly finished. Um, it's a funny thing, that, manipulating your behavior. You see, sometimes God works through our resolve. So let's say I come to the meeting and I really don't feel like singing a song. I don't feel like worshipping. But actually, in giving myself to that and sacrificing, I meet with God. That's fine. But when I'm putting on a show to others to appear, you know, that that I'm actually in a better place than I really am, the holy walk, the special voice, when you know that you're prophesying, that's never going to be how God wants us. So, that's super spirituality. So, so the last one was super spirituality. Um, basically, example, uh, I've forgotten to put petrol in my car. 
I'm driving along the road to pray for someone. Um, petrol runs out. I don't manage to make it to pray for them, but the devil stopped me from getting there. No, you forgot to put petrol in the car. Yeah? Um, we can excuse our lack of planning by blaming the enemy. And actually, that's kind of being super spiritual and silly, isn't it? So we kind of understand that. So God wants us to live with integrity, to say what we mean, to mean what we say, and do what we believe. So how do I measure up? I'm not bringing you these things to condemn. I'm bringing you these things because they're actually something which should be, God has spoken to us about, being written in our hearts. So God wants us to check that foundation, to check that alignment, knowing that we can access his resurrection power. Wherever there's death, Jesus has said this morning, there's life. Sometimes the wall comes tumbling down, but that's the best thing that can happen because your foundation was dodgy. We talked about having got stuck in a particular position. God's word to us this morning is that he's going to finish us. He's going to finish us off. So, that's what I was going to finish. Shall I hand over to you? Yeah. Good, thanks, Neil. All right, you remember last week I said um, that the notes will sometimes be a summary, but sometimes they'll contain more than we're actually able to cover in the session. So, and last week, by the way, the notes were here but didn't get given out. So um, make sure you pick up the notes. And remember, in the groups, um, development groups, house groups, uh, we're going to be covering these subjects uh, as we go through so that we make sure there's opportunity to raise questions, work through and apply and make good use of the teaching so that we're hearers and doers of the word. All right.